It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Um, can you turn your mic and go straight? I'm asking okay. you to go straight for the first well, time. First time in 20, first time 20 years. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ring RC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks, Musa. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Very Happy good book indeed. release day. Thank you. Yes. Oh yeah, my book is out today. Oh, 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 this? This little thing? <laughs> One of them. An Eton yes. College memoir. Go and yes, buy it. Yes, it's out today. Yeah, available wherever you get your books. Wherever you get your books. There we go, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Second it book is. of the year. It is. It is. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, busy showing some of us up. Thanks, man. Can't get the vaccine. Might as well get some books out. <laughs> <laughs> if, I can't get, if I can't get the Moderna or AstraZeneca, I'm going to inject your book straight into Listen, my vein. There you so. go. <laughs> Listen, if I have to suffer, the rest of you are going to suffer. Here's my threat. I'm going to keep churning out books and podcasts until I give my vaccine. <laughs> so you want to shut me up? Make it stop. You want to Make shut me stop. up? Give me my vaccine. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> Vaccines for everyone, or I'll keep redu- keep releasing podcasts and books until the end of time. Oh no! I won't stop. I won't oh, stop. Exactly. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of podcasts, yeah, you were on the Ringerverse with Mallory Rubin. Oh my goodness! Winter this was Soldier. A joy. This was an absolute joy. Two wonderful minds, Mal and Moose. That is a rigor podcast waiting to happen, isn't it? Malam. You know, her brain is like it's like talking to a library. It you know, is, like the library. Yeah. You know, the like you know, the, you, walk, you walk. You know those um those uh city libraries where you walk in, and the librarian knows where every book is, mm-hmm. like to the point where you could be like, ah, oh, like I'm looking for the fourth volume of so and so, so and so's, you know, 
and they're like, oh yeah, of course. And they're just like, you just see them kind of, it's like Dr. Strange, you see their eyes just flicker. And then the arm just reaches back and they're like, there. And they point to like the seventh floor, the fourth corridor. They're like, it's, it's absolutely there. That's what her brain is like. Only the thing like I really, I really loved about fast. this, listening to it, because I listened to it yesterday, was that I really loved how you, the pair of you reacted to what the other one said. And you could, you could hear you both figuring out or processing what the other one had said. It's so funny. But never really like pushing back. It was always just like, whoa, okay, what about, what about? <laughs> Yeah, but actually, yeah. maybe you're onto something. What about this? And I was bigger like, takes, this is yeah, just bigger. so like, <laughs> find me a podcast with two bigger nerds in a room. Or not in a room, as it well, were. Actually, having said that, I mean. What, are you talking about Stadio? Uh, Ryan, I mean, if we're talking about nerds, what? you and Mally Rubin are two of the biggest. No disrespect, like you're lovely people, but you're two of the biggest nerds I've ever met in my life. <laughs> what, the, what did I do? <laughs> <You don't... laughs> I mean, I'm going to take that as a huge compliment because it is, you know, Mallory Rubin's brain is extremely powerful, but I just do, dude, I just do a podcast. Leave me alone. If Mallory Rubin was uh, really, really, really into football, we'd be booted off the regular in a heartbreak. Yes, Cling on as it is. <laughs> um, some admin. Let's do some admin. Let's do it. Yep. Yep. So yeah, we, your book is out. Go yep. buy it. I have too many of your books on my bookshelf. Oh no. I'm going to have to write a book. <laughs> me too. Yeah. What's the shortest amount of word count you can get away with for a book? 30. Who will pub 30,000, 30,000. 30, 30, oh, 30,000? 30, I, I thought you were saying 30. Oh, no, no. I got away with, I got away with 30,000 just about. Oh, I suppose that's only like, you know, yeah, it's like 20, 20 odd written pieces. Actually, no, you can get away with um, children's book. Write a children's book, you can write. Nah. Children's book, you write 12,000. Might write a children's book about you. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what, Hansel and Gretel? <laughs> Trying to steal podcasts from everyone I'm trying to yeah. cancel podcasts i've got them all <laughs> do you know what that would be <laughs> a super a children's story a super villain who goes around cancelling things would be amazing yeah i'd love that i'd love that oh my god and one by one he cancelled them all and to be honest i mean to be honest the pie pipe of hamelin is basically the first story of cancel culture in like and stan culture times. those rats man they loved him they did they definitely they definitely stand exactly <laughs> 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 we stand a oh man who oh. can play the pipe so well. We stand a man. <laughs> anyway, um, this has gone weird. When does it not? When does it not? Other bits of admin. You were on Writer's House this week with Jeanette. I had to record this one a little bit earlier, but it was a really good episode, I thought. So much fun. That's up on the feed now. If you do listen on an app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. I've got a piece going up on Friday on The Ringer about... Okay, so we're going to do an episode on this as well. So we've been planning this for a little while. Yeah. But it's basically the 10th anniversary of the four classicos in 18 days. Yeah. So I've written a piece about the four classicos in general. You're doing a piece next week about something yes. more specific. Yeah. Which we will keep quiet. I think we're going to do Monday's episode about the four classicos. So we might swerve the games this weekend actually and do it because we we're thinking when can we do it? And I think Monday works. I think it'd be really, maybe if there's anything hugely newsworthy, we'll touch on it quickly. But I think, yeah, we'll do Monday's episode on the four Classicos. That sounds great to me. I've yeah. rewatched them all this week. Yeah. Which was I've, fun and not quite as exhausting as the first time around, but it was exhausting. It's extremely, I mean, to be honest, even the when you begin with the first one, it's like, the first one you're like, this is real. Do you know like the opening moments of like a, 
an action movie mm. where you can see the colors. They've chosen a particular filter and they've chosen mm. the kind of gray grittier, like, whoa, we're going to see some deaths in the first couple of scenes. Yeah, like it, yeah. it was one, it sets the tone really. Yeah. But we'll save it for Monday. And what we'll do is we'll go through each game and we'll yeah. talk about, because the thing that's so interesting, which I, t- I don't want to give the piece away, but for those who don't remember, but they were also bookended by two gigantic classicos that were memorable for their own reasons. Yeah. So we'll discuss that on Monday. I think that's all the admin. Yep, yeah, I mean, ringer.com forward slash soccer. Check that. Stadio.football if you want to check our website. Stadio Outros playlist with the music that we play out on each episode. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. You find all of the tunes we play out on the newest one at the top. Yeah, on a more serious note, today's the 32nd anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. And I just wanted to mention that we're thinking of anyone who was affected by that, who lost loved ones and Liverpool fans and the club in general. I think it was... Yeah, something that we'll we'll never forget. I can remember it just about. Yeah. Just about. I can't remember the actual game, but I can remember like weirdly I can remember it for the actual event as opposed to the, the it being a football thing. Yeah. But yeah, just sending love to anyone who today is, you know, pretty difficult for. And um yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to add to that? I just remember the photos. It's yeah. strange. It's maybe we're in a different time now, but the tabloid photos mm. from the ground. Lepping's Lane, it's one entrance, that one, and you know, Lepping's Lane, it's such a strange thing. I was like, remember, you, you hear it and you think, I'm just never going to forget that name. Yeah. I'm never going to forget that name, what's associated with it, and the stories that came out, and the way they came out, and what it did to Kenny Dalglish, what, like four funerals in a day at one point he mm. went to, and just the things that Liverpool as a community is in a club, what that did to them, it's just, um, yeah, it's something else. So yeah, I'm really glad that you, um, you mentioned that, and of course, about you, thoughts to everyone. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. Let's talk about the Champions League. Let's do it. Where would you like to begin? PSG Bayern. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think we have to. PSG are through to the semi-final. They lost 1-0 to Bayern. Still went through. They did. Interesting that both uh, both games were won by the away side. Yeah, it is interesting. And arguably not the better side on the night. Yeah, I was going to say this. Impressive loss for PSG. An impressive loss. There's another I mean, one. Add I mean, that to the lexicon. Impressive loss indeed, because they really should have been home and dry they played some beautiful football actually they really did they really did yeah yeah and the way that Neymar and, and Mbappe combined in particular was superb and this is a PSG missing Marquinhos which is an enormous loss still without Verratti yeah right an enormous loss to them like two pivotal players and that is credit to Mauricio Pochettino who is showing what he can do with resources mm. And, you know, it was, it's always the thing, isn't it? It was always the kind of, uh, the hypothetical, what could Poch do if he had the players? And we saw it the other night. Now, obviously Bayern were without, without Robert Lewandowski, but they still Mm. had plenty of other tools. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, Lewandowski is obviously going to be a gigantic miss for any, any, like any club in world football. We know this. I think missing Goretzka in midfield was also really bad for Bayern. Yes, yes. 
They didn't miss Nicolas Zula as much at the back because Hernandez, I think, had his probably the best game I've seen him have for Bayern. Yeah. I think he's had a bit of a tough time, Hernandez. He was in and out of the side. He had a massive injury in his first season and has never really been given a sustained run of games in one position. He's either played left back or centre back. And obviously with Alfonso Davis coming in and the emergence of him last season, that meant that he kind of lost his, his left back spot. With Alaba and Boateng gone, basically, in the summer, you're looking at him and Upa Meccano probably as the two. The problem was for Hernandez that in a, um, a full-strength team with players of their ages, he was not the first choice. Mm. He wasn't over Davies, who maybe got the jump on him. Maybe Davies' um, progress startled a lot of people, which happens at Bayern. People leap the queue. It's a competitive mm. club. And then I think with Boateng being in the middle, it was really one for the future. And I think he, he would have been told, I suppose, you know, wait this one out. Mm. Your, time, your time will come. If there's any club at which you can wait things out and get your time, it's Bayern actually, because they're pretty good at that. They're pretty I mean, good at like... Alexander Nubel energy. That guy is waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also they're patient with you. If they, if they think you can do a job at Bayern, they keep. Look at Xavi Martinez. That guy's been renewed and he's been through everything. Yeah, and it looked like he was, he was off last season. That's the thing. If they, if, they, if they feel they can still use you, they keep you around, which is why when buy and sell, you need to be worried. <laughs> That's the interesting thing about Boateng because th- it's pretty publicly known that Hansi Flick really wanted to keep him. There have been a number of things that I think him and Salah Hamazic have, have fallen out on. And I think that was one of them. Salah Hamazic wants him gone or doesn't want to renew him, basically. And mm. um, Flick wants to keep him around. There's a lot of, we maybe we'll touch on it later on in the show, but there's been the first or the, I suppose the second big domino in the Bundesliga managerial, I don't know, Royal Rumble. Well, <laughs> yes, that's right. It's so fallen we, uh, with Adi Hutter going to Gladbach, which was yeah. kind of, it's been whispered around for, for a while now. But yeah, let's touch on that a little bit later, maybe if we remember. Back to this game. Do you think over the two legs, the best side went through? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think PSG were rewarded for their enterprise. Let's not forget the narrow offsides that cost them uh, in both legs, actually. Cost them further goals in both legs. They just had the firepower. And I think, for me, it's not so much about territorial dominance, about who's most enterprising. At this stage of the Champions League, it's about who plays on the front foot. You know, we're not in a time where you grind out, you know, 1-0 aggregate, 2-1 aggregate. This is about firepower. And mm. PSG showed the most ambition and that's why they're through. And they deserve to go through, I think. I don't think anyone can really... I don't think Bayern can really complain too much, especially when you look at key players of theirs who struggle to make the impression. You look at sort of Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané and replacing Iron Robin and Frank Ribéry was always going to be so difficult. And the thing about Leroy Sané and Coman, who, you know, did score the Champions League winner last year, so still props to him. They all have like elements of those great wingers. Hmm. And that the problem is obviously if you're just, if you're just 20% short of devastating effectiveness on the flanks, you're going out. And I just feel like Bayern were 20% short of execution. And that's all it really was. So, you know, Sané got some superb positions on the flank, cut inside well, went outside maybe less than he should have done. I think the one thing with Sané is maybe I would say He's re- it really hurts him being on the right flank. I don't think that works, to be honest, Ryan, because he was most devastating for City on the left. And the problem on the right is he just doesn't like going outside on the right that mm. much. 
you know that eventually it's going to come in at some point uh, where there are some wingers who, the reason they're so devastating when they come inside is because they will attack on the outside. You know, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and these are, these are tiny margins. It's not like these are big deals, but it's like in games like this, you just need an extra gear and Bayern didn't have it. But saying that, who was a notoriously one-footed player who played on the right wing wearing the number 10 shirt for Bayern not too long ago? But he could go, he could go out though. He would attack the right. He would attack, he would attack the right, which is why he was also dangerous. He would cut. Um, and he never knew when he was going to cut. This is the thing. It's, it's not about when we have bottom footed. It's about, I think, um, it's about predictability, I think. Like if they know, like Mares as well. Mares like doesn't use his right that much. Mares does attack the right touchline a lot, a lot. Just I mean, I'm not disagreeing that yeah. I think that Sané is probably more efficient on the left. Mm. I think Serge Gnabry is, is usually better on the right mm. because he's, he's, he's more two-footed as well. And I think he gives you options. I just wonder whether the, whether Davis on the left-hand side maybe gives managers or gives Flick a little bit of thinking in terms of where he wants everyone to kind of be, whether he wants the overload on the left and whether that's possible with a Sané and a Davies. Yeah, because Davies you know? just basically engulfs that flank. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe with someone a little bit less mobile on the right-hand side, like Pavar, for example, it makes more sense. Him through the um, heavy lifting, yeah. But again, these, these are small margins. I mean, you look at like, you know, it, it, I only say this because it'd be difficult for Bayern to look at what they really did wrong in quote marks because they, were, they came very, very close. Like Thomas Muller, very good effort close in. Kimmich again, just superb driving everything forward. This isn't one of those ones where you look back and go, we really screwed up here, guys. Like, I think the first leg, like Flick was on Sky Germany afterwards and he was talking about, he gave a really emotional interview actually, where he just kind of, uh, I touched on it a little bit, but um, before, before that he was saying that it was basically the third goal. He was like the third goal in the first leg was the one yes. where it kind of killed us in a way. If they'd gone to Paris with, you know, a two or draw, then I think he would have felt far more comfortable. But I think he, he just said that third goal was just too much. Lothar Mateus actually like did really well as well. He kind of just dangled a little bit of a carrot out there and, and Flick just spoke about how uh, he just basically gave this massively emotional speech about like buy-in and the job and decisions and stuff like that. And I, I mean... Then Mateus kind of confirmed, he said, well, he confirmed, he, he said that he's off to the DFB to coach the national side after, after Yogi Love, which I don't think is any surprise to anyone. Look at the mileage though. Look at the mileage they've put on this year. They won the treble, then he goes off to Qatar, they win the World Club Cup and they come back and they win mm. their top head of the league. They've put on, a, there's a lot of intensity and then he had to turn that team around. Like he's done a lot with Bayern in a very, very short time. And I can see how that would be exhausting. Yeah, and this Bayern isn't as strong as last season. They've had some rotten luck with injuries, and I know they're Bayern, and people will have little sympathy. But it's not a, it's not a uh, particularly ruig, as they say in Germany, like not particularly calm environment. You know what it is? Bayern, it's like especially I with think, if yeah. you think of the personalities that you've got there, you've got like yeah. you're, even if you're Hansi Flick, who I think has done a really, really amazing job. Obviously, he's an ex Bayern player. Yeah, but um, you've got Salah Hamzic on the bench with you. And then up in the stands, you've got Rumenigger, Hernes, and Oli Khan. And it's just like, well, 
Yeah, you're gonna go to you're gonna go to the DFB and what? Just have to deal with Oliver Bierhoff. Yeah, it's it's almost like, and you need to. The thing about being a manager, I'm very sympathetic to, is you have to be able to assess when your market value is high, mm. because it varies, of course. And they always said it's at Bella Goodman, the third season is fatal. Mm. The old Benfica manager, Benfica coach, the third season is fatal. Two amazing years, and the third year, players begin to work you out. The team is fully yours. The squad is yours. No matter what happens, you know it's basically on you. So already prepping your next move. And I think Flick has, you know, if he does go to Germany, take the Germany job, which is basically everyone's saying it, it's a job beautifully done. No shame at bowing out at this point to a team that may well go on and do it because they've got the goals in them. Yeah, I think hopefully he'll look back when things are a bit calmer and just be like, I really, I did a great job there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you, if you think... I don't know if we have to remind people, but when he came in... Well, I think we do have to remind them because it's been Bayern, a while now, actually. Bayern were a, a mess. Bayern were a total mess. Like, Kovac got fired after that, that defeat to Eintracht. And we looked at that Bayern side, and I remember, I constantly re- reference this. We had a question at the time from someone who said, you know, if you could take one team from one league and put them in another, who would it be and where would they finish? And we genuinely said, and I don't think this was a massively wild hot take at the time, that what was this October? Yeah, October twenty nineteen. Just been beaten five one by Eintracht as well. Um, and we looked at what was going on there, and we looked at the cohesion, and we were like, they'd struggled to finish in the top four in the Premier League. And that was at absolutely that right. point. That was and I don't abs- think that was absolutely and I, right. And, was right. And, and I remember seeing a couple of Bayern fans talking about it, and they were actually saying like, "What do you think?" As opposed to, "This is bullshit," or whatever. To then turn them around into the most sleek flawless looking side in Europe within a matter of months was pretty great from, from Flick. And I, I remember saying a number of times that I think his, what he did really well at the beginning was just kind of put square pegs back in square holes. Right. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And by doing that and making people feel a little bit more comfortable, I think he just allowed Bayern to like move further up the pitch. And that was key for them because Kovac was sitting a little bit, his Bayern sides would sit a little bit deeper. But I don't think Flick only put square pegs in square, square holes. He no. just, he's someone who really got the club. Like he, he, I mean, I think Kovac does as well because Kovac was at Bayern, but I think it was a different thing. Kovac was at a different point in his career where I think he kind of wanted to flex a bit as a manager, which is totally fine. Um, I think that if Bayern, Bayern were kind of, I think Kovac was kind of like wrong guy at the wrong time, really. Also, um, let's not underestimate how much Hansi Flick's work with the Germany national team would have helped. Yeah, definitely. We're forgetting hours of conversations in the canteen, the DFB camp, like, you know, during World Cup campaigns, European campaigns, Flick just on the coach there, talking to Boateng, talking to Neuer. And he arrives and immediately Boateng, Neuer, Muller will be on board and be like, that guy knows. That guy knows at least what, it is, what it's like inside a championship environment, which I mm. think is reassuring. You need that. Yeah, and I mean, like Bayern, it helps to have that gravitas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously he was there as assistant. Before he, exactly, right, he didn't yeah, just yeah. come into Bayern. He was there as an assistant yeah. to Kovac. And it was really strange, actually. I mean, he, he arrived in the July and by November he was in charge. So, mm. I mean, let's talk about PSG a little bit because I think in this game they were absolutely superb. And there was one moment which I think some, some of the football they played was just... Was that bit yeah. on the... It was in the second half where Neymar kind of takes out Kimmich and Muller with one move and then spreads the ball out wide. I think it was 
or plays it off to someone, it's clipped to Di Maria who does that chest and then pulls it left. Oh my Pastor God, Nandes, yes. I think. Yes, Squares yes. it and it's just out of reach for Neymar. But the thing about this move that is so good, it's such a good move that even Jerome Boateng does like a no-look dra- drag back, back heel out of play for a corner. I was like, <laughs> yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah. even the deflect, even the, even the defending has got like sauce. Someone said it was existential. Yeah, yeah someone said it was that existential. You know, and can I, can I shout out Paredes, who is brilliant, who doesn't always get the props. Di Maria's passing through the heart of midfield. This, this quarterfinal stage, I saw some of the best passing through the middle of crowded areas that I've seen in a long time. Di Maria was hammering the ball through the smallest gaps. It was, um, it reminded me of his 2014 run when he was playing what was the midfield three a bit mm. deeper for Real for quite a bit that season and was just, you know, you can plug him in anywhere pretty much mm. in that front five, I would say, like either of the wings and then like anywhere in the front three if you had to. And he was unbelievable. Mm. Receiving the ball in tight spaces, turning and then just like breaking lines with the passes. Honestly, like this was as good. This, this Di Maria was, in his own way, was as good as I've seen him, I thought, the other day. Um, and not because he was playing this destructive role. You know, he can be the wrecker. You know, we've seen him do that. But this was something else. This was the more contemplative, ball retention, keep possession, get high up the pitch, keep tempo, and routinely beat his opposite man, opposite mm. men, routinely. And never got greedy. Like after the... You can imagine like a training video of like, now listen, you young wingers, this is how you do it. You beat a player, you don't get greedy. You beat a man. And it was actually Leo Messi thing. Like Messi with this amazing way, Messi would get the ball, beat a player, and then hammer it square, and then run on to create another option. Mm. And Messi would never get greedy. One man and go. It was almost like he was on a diet, like your vitamins. Like don't take more than one vitamin a day. Like beat a man. Whatever you gone. need, and, go. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And it's minimalism. Just, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, yeah, that's exactly. If this is why Di Maria is one of my favourite big game players. Yeah, you really love Di Maria, huh? Yeah, it's just because injury is the only thing that stopped that guy. I saw a lot of Di Maria slander going around on... on of course there, there was is, a lot. Of there was a lot of like calling out individual players this week, which I don't really like. I never really got the Chupa Moting slander anyway, and we covered him in detail last week. He got another goal. Yeah. A goal in both legs in the Champions League quarterfinal against PSG. Yeah, he's never going to be a Lewandowski but it's like we said last week you know you need role players in, a, in an elite squad yeah so you need these players and I think he's I just think I, I just really love him I think he's he just comes across really well when he's interviewed as well and he's just someone who is just there doing a job and he knows that when Lewandowski comes back in he's going to go on the bench and absolutely yeah. yeah he'll play he'll play minutes in the Pokal and he might play 20 minutes here and there in Bundesliga games but but you can imagine for example Chupamoteng is a very popular member of the Bayern squad Right, and that you would be hard pressed to find someone to say a bad word about him. Like those kind of players usually are like that within the squads. I think that's always a really interesting game. I love of, that dynamic. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for example, there is a lot of stuff at the moment about Granit Xhaka at Arsenal, and and actually, the re- the fan relationship to the player to the players' relationships to the player is an interesting one. I think actually someone like Granit Xhaka is way more integral to that Arsenal squad than he gets credit for. Yeah. There's a thousand things. Yeah, there's a ton of things. You'll be like, that player helped me get settled. That player did shooting practice with me. That player helped me Mm -hmm. practice one-twos. And there'll be improvements in other players' games that are due to a player who might struggle on the pitch from time to time because of the job they're given. But not even that. I think just like reliability. I think think one of the things that players love is reliability. And they're like, yeah, maybe he's not, you know, Lewandowski level, but like Chupa Motang 
is always there when we need him kind of thing. Yeah. Whether we, yeah. you know, always giving the effort, always, you know what I mean? Like we, we've covered this last week, so I don't want to go into it too much. But it's but just one of those ones where like, there'll be coaches, they'll be like, if everyone gave me what that player gives me, we'd win yeah. everything. Yeah. You know? So PSG are going through as are Chelsea, who lost, but still go through. Yes. To Porto with an absolute traum tour right at the end of the game. Yeah. Stunning strike. If it had come earlier, it would have made things extremely interesting. Yeah. But other than that, it was probably the most low-key of the two. I mean, Tarimi's goal was the high point of a game that wasn't particularly wild. Yes, he's the first Iranian player to score in the Champions League quarterfinals. No way. Made it to Remy, first player to score in the Champions League quarterfinals. Absolutely amazing. There'll be a statue to that goal. I mean, it's such a beautiful strike. And it's a strike that deserves crowds. That's the thing, isn't it? Yes. And Mendy's face, Mendy's face when that went here. <laughs> Do you know what? Can I say, can I say this? I love an offended goalkeeper. I love an offended goalkeeper because I'm like, I love how much it matters. That's how much it should matter. And he's so chill. We said before how, yeah, how yeah. much, how chill Mendy is, right? But it's in and there. It's always in there. It's always in there. And every goalkeeper's got it in them. A goalkeeper must take personal offence to every goal that is scored against them, whether it's in a practice, whether it's a five-a-side, it must be a personal offence. And I love it. I love that with, I love that for him. And it came, I think, like sort of 30 seconds before the final whistle or whatever. But Chelsea done pretty well until then. What I love about this result is it keeps both teams honest. It's a great end for Porto because they quitted themselves superbly throughout and they were a danger to the very end. Um, so I think they sort of, they went out in a way that was true to their style, their tradition. And I think it's also interesting for Chelsea because Chelsea are still, I mean, it's still Porto. Porto are a very good side. Let's respect that. Chelsea need a little bit more unlocking for me to look at them as, they're not, they're not the favourites for this trophy, but they'll need to unlock a little bit more to get through the semis, I think. They'll need to unlock a little bit more. Props to Thomas Tuchel. Props to Chelsea. They're into their first semi-final, I think, since is it 2014. So props to Thomas Tuchel. Is they going to do this thing where... Are Chelsea going to win the Champions League again after firing the manager mid-season? It would be perfect if they did. A Chelsea 1-0 win in the final. This season's got that written all over it. Even if that doesn't happen... There are so many universes in which that's the outcome. It just has Chelsea won, 22-minute winner. Yikes. And then Chelsea just hold out. Incredible defensive performance. Yikes. Thiago Silva Yikes. defending on his, like, you know, last unbroken bone. Oof. Blimey. You can see it though, can't you? I can, I can see anything. Yeah. All right, man, let's go to the Westfalenstadion where Jude yes. Bellingham gave Dortmund a 1-0 lead with an absolutely superb goal in another absolutely superb performance. Uh, he is the real deal. We spoke a lot about him recently. Um, and also caveat that, that though by saying he will experience a dip of form soon and he will yeah. hit a bit of a plateau before progressing to another level, I think. Yeah. Because that's just natural. Manchester City going through in the end thanks to Riyad Mahrez's penalty and a lovely Phil Foden goal. Yeah. I think Dortmund did themselves, they can come out of this with their heads held high. I think, you know, missing Jadon Sancho, I mean, the gap in terms of resources and squad depth and everything like that, I think that they really did hold their own. I think they had a couple of other chances. They had that one actually, not long after they'd gone 1-0 up from Akanji from the corner, the header. Yeah. 
I the I watched it again this morning and I think that now looks like a really big chance. If that goes into two nil, Dortmund are ahead in the tie. I mean, it's a they lot are, of what ifs. They are. They are. You know what it was? And you're completely right. It was a big miss. And at the same time, the sustained intensity of Manchester City after mm. half time blew me away. Yeah. Like, it was absolutely amazing. They were deep in the final third. They were wide. They stretched the play everywhere. And the speed of the passing, the movement was, was absolutely spectacular. And but they, had, they had that, sorry to cut in, but they had, that, yeah. they had that moment after the goal where they really peppered Dortmund's goal. And Bellingham had that one cleared off the line. Uh, that yes. He cleared off the line, but he was yeah. like celebrating. Like he's, it was like he'd scored. It was incredible. Like his amazing. His energy's that amazing. That picture of his celebration with the, just the energy yeah. looking at the camera. Yeah. But um, he, he deflected. He was like, he was going to, he was going to stay in those trenches yeah. for a full but the fact that He was happy. Half yeah. time. Yeah. Unscathed basically was so big. Wasn't itself remarkable. Yeah. And yeah. because, you know, actually we, that has to get credit because Dortmund get a lot of criticism for in quotes mentality mm-hmm. and they showed all of it. Again, this is an impressive loss for Dortmund. Weirdly mm. enough. If you look at, um, look at De Bruyne's strike, they hit the bar. I know. That wasn't even, that was, that was rage. He was amazing, man. That was man. actual rage from De Bruyne. Yeah. Yeah. He was everywhere in this game. You know, deep, up top, the false nine, inside left, inside right. He was outstanding, yeah. And I just thought, I don't know, like the things that Dortmund are criticised for in this game, oh, criticised, they didn't do them wrong in this game. Mm. They made they made City take it. And that is the, the greatest compliment to a team that loses is that you made the opposition win it. You mm. made them come out and score, you know, a contested penalty that that was an extremely, extremely harsh penalty. And I saw some critics of M.A. Chan. And yeah, I, I first like of all, the sustained pressure that City put on meant that something would give in some way, mm-hmm. whether did, it was a kind of think, contested sorry, penalty. Just to circle back a bit, but did you think the penalty was harsh? I did actually. I did, to be honest. It's one of those ones, you know, you know, when, you know, when you say of a penalty, I've seen them given, mm. that's the definition of a harsh, of a hard penalty. Yeah, whenever someone says about a penalty, I've seen them given, it's like, yeah, that was a bit tough. Like, there are games where that doesn't get given. I think the thing for me is that the, the, the law is obviously very clear in its wording. I think it's the interpretation of what is a natural or unnatural position, because I think the thing, like you try leaning, falling with your arms, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with your arms tucked into your body, like I, I tweeted, that um, is handball ever really a handball anymore apart from when it is but who knows when that is mm. it, I, got, I was getting I was feeling very just like I really don't really know what's going on anymore like with the VAR, with the VAR thing on, on um, we didn't even mention it but Mbappe scored that amazing goal that was then given offside yeah and it's like really weird you're seeing like because of they're not flagging for offside anymore until the end of the, the phase of play it's like you're seeing like a seminal moment play out in real time and then it just gets erased. So it's like Stunning super weird well. psychologically yeah. because you're seeing iconic goals play out in real time. You're actually seeing them happen before your eyes. But then they will never really pop up on any highlight reels because they weren't actual goals. So it's like they yeah. sit in this weird, like almost like purgatory. Like and it's funny because purgatory. that was, that would have been part of Mbappe, <clears throat> Mbappe legend to yeah. score two goals to score two goals of that quality mm. in either, you know, to score a goal of that quality in either leg, because his, his goal in the first leg, you know, the one that Flick talks about, that is a goal that quite literally only Mbappe can score. We saw mm-hmm. him score similar. We mentioned, I mentioned before in the World Cup final. And again, that was the one that clinched it, the 4-1, the four, before Loris had his existential moment. Um, and 
Yeah, you're right. That that Mbappe via de Solo goal was, it would have been on highlight reels for years to come because it was such an emphatic dismissal. It was like all this conversation about, oh, like this goalkeeper intimidates these players and Mbappe just going, no, this is how you finish when through one-on-one. And it was a joyous finish, you know, for an elite forward to finish with joy like that. You're like, this person's peaking. This person's not afraid of anything mm. except history, maybe. And yeah, just, just something on the, the, the Mbappe dislike goal, just very quickly. My frustration with super fast forwards who don't stay, like, oh, in deeper, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I know it sounds harsh, but I've seen it a lot this season. Like, it just happens a lot where they're so fast, they can afford to hold their run. Mm. It was extremely, want- extremely close. Yeah, but he's so fast though. Like you can eat up the ground. You can afford to be like three, four feet back. The only reason I say it is because there's lots of extremely fast forwards who have held the run. I think Um, also there though, though, I would also give credit to Jovan Boateng because he knows what's happening and he steps up. mm. Yes, I agree with you in theory, but also I think sometimes, you know, Jovan Boateng is a wily old fox and then he's been around defensively. You know, he knows how to defend. Um, there are some defenders for whom stepping up is like a first touch. Like yeah. it's a thing where almost, it's you know, there was, then there's a compilation <clears> video of like really great step ups and like people are caught offside, but that'd be brilliant. Like chess moves. But it's like, like that old Arsenal back four, just instant hand in the air. I think this is even harder these days because now it's one-on-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you are the back line, you know, like now you're, you're the centre back. And do not, I know this is a bit of a silly point I'm making, but it'd be fascinating if anyone's made a compilation video of brilliant last line defending where someone steps up and there's an offside and just the look on the, the look on the forward's face of like offside and the little smirk <laughs> the defender's face going, gotcha. Let's go back to the best violin. Yes. <laughs> so I saw a couple of tweets. Well, first of all, it's Man City's first semi-final in five years in Champions League. Yeah. In the quarterfinals of Champions League at City, Pep keeps running into players or teams who have a sense of destiny. Like Leon. And it could, it looked like being Bellingham. It looked like being Bellingham yeah, it did actually. Um, it did it really because did. he was really asserting himself. Like someone said, was it, was it Jeanette? We were talking actually. Jeanette was like, yeah, he, how much has he been thinking about scoring that mm-hmm. since, the last, since the first leg? And poor Moda, um, who had missed it. He was on the deck trying to roll around for a penalty after being clobbered on the shot. And then he kind of, there was an amazing bit where like he looks around. If you watch the goal again, he looks around, realizes the ball's got in and he sees everyone kind of running behind him and he tries to style out a bit of a slight limpy run because he was just like, because he really did like go down. I, mean, I actually think he got clobbered. It was, a, I mean, it could have been yeah. a penalty actually if Bellingham hadn't put it away. But no, I think he's, he's passed every test that he's had this season, Bellingham. Yeah. I think you can simultaneously say that he is absolutely the real deal and he will probably become, I don't know what his ceiling is. It's so high. However, he's going to, he's going to plateau for a bit. We've seen it with all of the kind of great young talents, maybe bar Messi in the last 20 years. I think yeah. he's probably the only one who didn't, I don't think. Yeah. Right. Messi never plateaued. You're right. Um, Scary. Scary. <laughs> Just but, you know, we're, we're, like, we're going to see it with Phil Foden who was, again, absolutely brilliant. And is because, this is the thing that I'm super excited about. Actually, so shouts to Cara Head. She wrote a tweet saying England are going to be unbearable if they ever win the World Cup. Mm. And she's kind of got a point because the hype around this, I think the thing that's so, it's so great about this crop of young England players is that they are all of the profile of players that we've looked 
to other countries with massive envy before and being like, wow, why didn't England ever produce players like that? Really? You know, on the whole. Yes. I mean, you look at the dynamism. Like a Rice in Bellingham midfield is, you know, in say in four years' time, with the, if they continue to both develop at the rate that they have done, is absolutely terrifying. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's got everything. Yeah. With Foden, with Sancho, and then you've got Raheem Sterling. Uh, Greenwood off the bench. Hopefully Dominic Calvert-Lewin, deep in his mid-twenties, firing home goals. Like if Reese James up in the mix. You've, you've got, got so many numbers of genuine quality there. Callum hudson Adoy. We haven't even mentioned oh Mason Mount. God. We didn't even mention Mason Mount or Jack Grealish. Oh my, God. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm never one of these people who thinks it's hashtag coming home, but the England squad is developing into something extremely exciting and I think that's because it's of extremely the, exciting yeah, yeah I think that's because of the type of players that they have and also just the skill set I think that yeah they're, they're, it's really exciting I think Bellingham will probably be managed a little bit more harshly in terms of minutes and game time for England than he will be at Dortmund because he's just I think with the with the Witzel injury he's just it's just meant that he's played way more and he's proved that he can be there like he went toe-to-toe with Man City and wasn't afraid was one of the no, best players. Was one of the best players on the pitch at seventeen yeah, years over, old. In, in both legs. In both legs. Should have had a goal in the first leg, which could have changed everything. Got um, an even more beautiful one. Yeah, and now he'll have a goal. This is the thing. If he'd scored in the first leg, we would not have a wonder goal. We'd not have an iconic goal. True. Yeah. He's, yeah. He basically scored the equivalent of a fadeaway jump shot past Edison. It was a. Uh, <laughs> it was a controlled Stunned. angry goal. I think it visually wasn't an angry goal, but I think uh, emotionally it was an angry goal. It's really amazing because I can't remember a period where. I was really excited by an England talent. And then another, came, another one came along who was potentially even more exciting. And, and it kind another, of went... And another. And yeah, another. the order went almost... The order almost went like Sancho, Foden, Hudson-Odoi, Bellingham. That was the rough order of excitement and going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, like each time. And then you've got Mount and Greenwood right up there in the mix as players who are doing great stuff. Of course, but James, I mentioned before, and Rice, it's just... And I'm going to throw in Bakaya Saka as well, who we haven't mentioned. Saka. Saka has been... Un- and also the burden that Saka's carried, like, it's just... It's all vibes. It's all good. There could be a problem, man, England, if they get, they get their shit together. Okay, the final tie. Real Madrid, whose nil-nil draw at Anfield was enough to see them through. I expected a little bit more from Liverpool, I think, but this is just something that Real Madrid turned into another another being at this point of the season. It's almost like they're on automatic. Yeah, yeah. Learned behaviour. And they love, you know, here's the thing as well. There's a part of Zidane for whom the nil-nil was the ideal result. Did you see his face when Casemiro absolutely floored Milner? No, I didn't. I know. There was a shot where like Robertson stands up and squares up to Casemiro and Zidane's in the background out of focus just with the biggest grin on his face. It was very like Joker energy, actually, because I mean, to be honest, was, I actually think Casemiro yeah. should have gone for that. Yeah, that's interesting. He was nowhere near the ball. He was so late. He'd been limping literally 10 seconds before that, five seconds before that. He, he was limping when he then decided to sprint over and make a move on Mil- for Milner. I mean, this is the thing that's wild about like bookings in a way is that Robertson got booked for squaring up to Casemiro. So he got the same punishment that Casemiro did for the tackle on Milner, which was so dangerous, I thought. It was so late. He could have seriously injured Milner. See, I reckon he, see Casemiro, I reckon he's one of those players in the squad that is like, 
I reckon long after he retires, he's the kind of player if he's passed through Madrid, Zidane makes all the time for. He like clears his schedule for. I think he's that kind of player. He's who, naughty, Casemiro. You know, he's, he's yeah. Far, I think he's, he's far also, naughtier than he, his little oh, his little yeah. his little cute face lets lets him get away with absolute murder. Oh yeah, no, we. I, I definitely see that he's always had that energy in yeah. him because he turns up, and Real just start winning, and they don't stop. Mm. I'm always really fascinated by players who Real Madrid scout really young from the Brazilian game because if you think about it Real are really amazing at scout they've got a really good record at scouting players from the Brazilian league and putting them straight into like the deep end they love it and they, they because they know exactly which qualities they're looking for mm. and like they don't play in front of massive crowds a lot of these like, you know to take Casemiro and put him like we're going to put in front of 80,000 people a week 100,000 and it's going to be no big deal and he's like yeah I'll do it and it's just been doing it at that level for mm. a long time. And a lot of people give him a lot of stick for, you know, sometimes good reason. Sometimes positionally, he's not always most disciplined, but he just knits that thing together. He knits that midfield together time and again. Um, so yeah, and it was funny that Salah had a, a miss early on. Mm. It's a deflected pass square from uh, Mane after about two minutes, I think. He hit it low without sufficient power or placement and Courtois got his legs across to it. It was actually a decent save from Courtois. It wasn't a horrifying miss. I wasn't watching this game live, so I had to like watch it later, catch up with it later. It wasn't a horrifying miss. In context, I think it was a subpar piece of finishing, if that's fair. And I think the problem is that if you score then, it enables an onslaught. And Rail did pretty well at minimising chance creation for Liverpool, if you think about it, like Liverpool had good chances, but they were kind of stretched out. They didn't arrive in clusters. It wasn't like against, it wasn't like City Dortmund where City were peppering like, you know, three and five minutes. It was like Madrid managed the game quite well. And one thing I would say as well, I was mentioning to Carl and you guys the other night about pressing Madrid. And it's so interesting. If you look at the teams that have beaten Real this year, Alcayano in the Copa del Rey, mm-hmm and Shakhtar twice, mm-hmm. and Shakhtar, like, with all those COVID absentees, and its teams have absolutely shown no respect at all to Real, and they've gone right, as I talk about, right down the throat. You've got to rough them up, man. Yeah, you, yeah, a little bit. Does that make sense? Gladbach did a pretty good job. Gladbach was spectacular against them. And I remember watching this in the Champions League going, you've got to put them out now. And I remember, mm. I, I said, we've all said it, I was like, you've got to put Real out now. If you allow them to creep through, they'll do what they do. And they've done what they do. They're like those baseball teams that go through the entire season winning like, like 0.550. They scrape into the playoffs. They get a wild card. Then once they're in the playoffs, it's like game time. You see it time and again in baseball, which I used to follow quite closely. Mm. Weirdly, back in, the, back in the day, I used to follow baseball a lot. And you'd see it time and again. The teams with the outstanding regular season record would just be out of energy by the playoffs. And I think with Real, it's happened so often. I don't think it was even that much of an accident. I think they got a little bit lucky this year with all the kind of things happening. Mm. But I think generally speaking, they are a team, I think now that manage themselves early in the season, just like stay in the hunt. Because we've seen them do it in the league. I mean, they had a bad start in the league. Dude, they could end up winning a league and European Cup double this season. Double, yeah. If you'd said that at the start of the season, <laughs> if, it's, if you'd said that after five games, bizarre. if you'd said that after five games, I'd be like, no way. But the one tweet I regret not sending. One? Yeah, the one, well, it's the one, there's a, a month ago, actually there's, there's two tweets I regret never sending. The first one is, last year I was going to tweet, I think Prince Harry is going to leave the royal family on a free transfer. Ooh. That was the first thing, because I clocked that. The second thing I regret not tweeting was a month ago, and I was like, 
this is shaping up to be the most Real Madrid season ever. In a season of pure chaos, it would make total sense for them to win everything they could. Mm-hmm. The house always wins and the house is Real. If they won the Champions League this season, would that mean that Zidane has won the Champions League four times with not the best team in Europe? It would. And it would also be wild because it's like, if anyone had ever said to you when Zidane was at his peak, oh, that guy's going to win more as a manager than as a player, everyone would have laughed. I know. Everyone would have laughed. They'd be like, no, there's no way in hell that man. Oh, four Champions League. No, please. What, more than Ancelotti? More than Paisley? Well, no, come on. Would you bounce if you were Zidane after this season? So how many times do I need to come back and save you guys? Go and take the French job after the Euros. I mean, what was it someone tweeted? Um, David Rudin, shout out to David Rudin. I love this tweet. Zinedine Zidane is the best international manager who's <laughs> never been an international manager. <laughs> yeah. This take was so brilliant. I, I had to say it on the podcast because I'm like, it was so brilliant. Just a great, great, great piece of analysis. It's completely right. He just has that energy, doesn't he? And he understands the squad and how to manage and who to trust. Bring in Valverde as right back. Oh, Fede. And having used Vasquez there before. I love Fede. Love it. Love him. Brilliant. Okay, so we've got the four semi-finalists. As a complete neutral, I really would have loved to have seen one of Dortmund, Liverpool, Porto, maybe not so much Bayern, but maybe even Bayern go through. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think the quality of the football in the semifinals is going to be incredible. I don't think from a purely elite level footballing spectacle, I don't think we can complain. Yeah, I think that's right. Who do you think will go through in the semis? I think the best teams will go through, Ryan. Give me an answer. That's my answer. That's not sitting on the fence. The best teams will go through. I was trying to fish you out. <laughs> and being like, give me an answer. I wanted you to say PSG and then I was just going to be like, oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Exactly. I know. I know. I know you. I know you too well. 154 <laughs> episodes. He's learning. He's learning. He's learned. He's learned. He's, right. he's, we've got him. <laughs> I need to quit. That's it. I've been rumbled. I've been rumbled. <laughs> um, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Genuinely don't have any idea. Yeah, because they're not as cut and dried as they were last season, I don't think. so. No, no, no. Really not. We said we'd maybe mention it quickly, but about the Bundesliga merry-go-round, but maybe we'll save it. Yeah, let's save it. Because you know what it is? It's still developing. I mean, it's the Bundesliga, so in a sense it always is. The only, but, thing, the only thing I want to put out there is obviously Stefan Baumgart. We, we did mention it on Monday, but we actually chopped it for time. But uh, he's, left, he's leaving Paderborn in the season. Um, and I just want him to, be, I want him to come to Hertha. Hope, hope Freddie Bobic will uh, get straight on the phone to Stefan, whose wife uh, works in the Union fan shop. And obviously he was, uh, he was at Union. His last gig before Paderborn was coaching in the Regional Liga for a, for a Berlin side. So like, bring him home, Freddie. Bring him back to the big city. <laughs> Vibes. Anything else we need to shout out before we bounce? No, that's, we're all good, I think. We're all good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've only got one more thing to say. Get in the mood, Muta. I'm in the mood for Europa. It's Thursday. What else are we gonna do? All right, let's get out of here. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Check Wrighty's house if you haven't already. Check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Some pieces going up about the four classicos. Musa's book is out today. It is. If you can, go and buy it. Support your shy, humble poet. Friendly neighbourhood podcaster. Don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out this episode on Belva Yin, Relatos de Praga. 
got a bit of like Duretti column energy, this one, I think. Anything else? Any any agenda you want to push, Musa? Not this week, no. no? I think I'll give Taking a week, a week off, off from my, uh, my commercial agenda. Tim yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Have a lovely weekend, everyone. Much love, and we'll be back on Monday. See ya.